So this morning, it is my task to come in at number six. We've had five this far. We're, we're going to finish with eight. We'll finish this here this month in July. But today is number six. The title of the message is called, After the Harvest, Now What? After harvest, now what? So the crops have been gathered in. Let's look this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and then 9 through 13. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. What do people really get for all their hard work? Verse 9 says, verse 10, I have seen the burden God has placed on us all. Verse 11, yet God has made everything beautiful. Everybody say beautiful. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy. A few years ago, a little song came out. I loved it, still do. Don't worry. Look at your neighbor, look at your neighbor and say, don't worry. Don't worry. Say, be happy. I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy. So many folks chase happiness. And how many you know when you make happiness your pursuit, you'll never find it? Happiness is a decision. You decide right now that even in the middle of difficult times that you choose to be happy. I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves. Now, you know what? Some folks just... just Really almost think you shouldn't even say that in church, but that's in your Bible. Everybody say, that's in the Holy Bible. Come on. To, and see, Read it with me. And enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And there's one more verse, 13. Everybody read this one out loud with me, please. Here we go. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are what? Gifts from God. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And all of God's people said... One thing that I'm going to weave like a chorus in a song that repeats through this message this morning is this. Say it with me. Here we go. God commands regular seasons of rest and celebration in the lives of his people. Say it like you mean it. God commands regular seasons of rest and celebration in the lives of his people. We're talking this morning for just a few moments. I'm not going to be long about the principle of the Sabbath. Hebrew word Shabbat. It literally means rest. It is particularly with the idea of a one day a week devoted to uh, a Sabbath period of intentional disengagement from work with a purpose. It's not laziness, but it's intentional disengagement from all of the activities for a purpose. It's, it's sanctified. It is it is set apart for a reason. We're going to talk about that this morning. Everybody say rest. I have four words that I'm going to use the acrostic rest, R-E-S-T. So I have four quick points I want to bring, R-E-S-T. The first principle is rejoice. After the harvest has come in in your life. Now, we're not just talking about crops in the field. That's obvious. We live in an agricultural area. We can walk out of this church and we can see crops around us growing in the fields, all, as, all the way around us to all these uh, fence lines. We own these 30 acres and up against right to Angels Way Baptist right over there next to us. All these 30 acres. We got grass in our little area back here, but you go back here and look in the back. And Johnny Bione is still farming that because I don't want to have to mow it. 
that's for future. That's the next generation for some buildings that we're going to have out there. Somebody said, why did you buy so much land? My pastor, Ray McCollum from Nashville, said, Michael, when you get ready to buy land to build your church, you better get as much as you can because that's the one thing the Lord's not making any more of. So many of my friends have bought four or five acres and then got landlocked and then couldn't grow and had to sell and pick up and go somewhere else. And so we're just, we're thinking about the generation after us that will come. If the Lord tarries, we've got something to hand to them. They can stand on our shoulders and further advance the kingdom of God in the Delta. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. So the first principle of the Sabbath after the harvest has come in is rest. R. R is rejoice. Rejoice. The Greek word literally means to brighten up. Rejoice is an important word in my life. It will be three years, October the 16th, that I lost the love of my life. Some of you know the story, battling with depression and paranoia, and then a lost dawn to suicide. And it's been a, an outrageous roller coaster of up and down. And I'm thankful to be in a place where most of the time now I can talk about it without breaking down. And in the middle of that, I heard the Lord whisper in my heart, choose joy. And so I, 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 I began to think about the word rejoice. Rejoice literally means to, to have the exuberance of the happiness and the joy of God, but then re-it. When you renew something, when you rejuvenate something, when you rewind something, you're going to go through it again. So rejoice means to have joy and then get it again. So it's kind of like the idea of, uh, of the Coke bottle and you take that thing and shake it up and all of a sudden there's a whole exuberance. You open that cap and it's going to be all over the place. And so real joy should be something that begins to be um, maybe explosive, not all the time, but at some point it's going to have a surge in your life. And so I choose to have joy. And I choose to see the hand of God in the little things and enjoy the blessings that the Lord has given to us. Sometimes we have a religious mindset, a legalistic idea that, 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 that as Christians that we're not supposed to enjoy all of these things out here in the world. And I think everything that's on the planet, God put it here for a reason. Every animal, every plant, all of those things are here for a purpose. Too often we, we take them and we pervert it for something that is not the intention God made and, and then it becomes an addiction to us or it becomes a hindrance to us. But I believe God, God knew what he was doing when he made that cacao bean and and somebody came along with the revelation from God to give us chocolate oh y'all know what I'm talking about I tell you I can bite into a piece of chocolate and feel the Holy Ghost <laughs> now I don't know what your flavor is but I, I just think that we're supposed to enjoy now I didn't mean to eat the whole box I think whoever came up with cheesecake, that person is probably a, a third heaven level saint. My, my challenge is not to eat the whole cheesecake, though, when I have it. I just, something about it, I mean, it just, it just gets all over me. So we're to rejoice, we're to enjoy. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 24 through 26, three verses, New Living Translation says this, Now when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, the place of worship he chooses for his name to be honored might be too far for you to bring the tithe. Now, this morning, your tithe is in your pocket, or it's in your checkbook, or it's, 
it's in your debit card or it's on your credit card or it's, it's in a check that you're, you're going to write or may have already written. Um, maybe it is the fact that you have set up on text to give and it gets uh, deducted from your account. Mine happens every Monday. That's when it comes out of my account, what I give regularly to Victory Church. And these days, when, the, when Moses was giving the commandments of the Lord in Deuteronomy, or Deut- Deutero means twice, namas means law. This is the second giving of the law of God to prepare a generation that were born in the wilderness to go in now and possess the land. And he says, when you've got a great big harvest and the Lord calls you to a festival, to a place to worship him, and it's too far to take your tithe. Well, now what he's talking about is bringing a sheep or a goat because the scripture says, bring the best from your flock. Whatever it is, maybe it's too far to be able to take that animal and maybe the animal wouldn't live before it got there and then it would be bad and you don't want to give that to the Lord. So he basically says, if it's too far to bring the tithe, look, if so, you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds, put the money in a pouch and go to the place the Lord your God has chosen. Look what he says to do with the money. When you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, or other alcoholic drink. Wait a minute. That just, that just really made a couple folks squirmy right there. Go back. Go back. The, the King James says, or strong drink. Now, if you're a teetotaler, praise God. Do it in faith. But the parties that the children of Israel had involved the fruit of the vine. And I, I'm going to tell you, they had a good time. There were three, year, three times a year the Bible says God would call the people of Israel together in a feast of the Lord. The first month of the year in Passover, which was the remembrance of God delivering them out of Egypt from the house of bondage where they were slaves. And they, they came delivered by the blood applied to the doorpost, the blood of the lamb. They got set free by the, by the blood and by the water passing through the Red Sea, baptized into Moses, which is a picture of Christ. And then they breathed in the cloud, which is a picture of, of, of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So it was the blood, the water, and the Spirit. And so this morning we celebrate, we remember that Passover, that, that first deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt but particularly the fulfillment that came when Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who hung on the cross and took away the sins of the world, He is our Paschal Lamb. He is our Passover Lamb. And this morning, we enjoyed the testimony and the tremendous leading of Brother Al Appling as we received the Lord's table, the the bread representing Jesus' body and the juice representing His shed blood for us. How many of you are thankful? Say amen. And so three times a year they would appear before the Lord and they would have a big feast and a party and they would, they would, they would turn up and they would, tear, they would tear down. I don't mean destroying things, but they would dance and they would enjoy. There was in every one of those three seasons, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, first month, third month, seventh month, three times a year they would come together and have a big holiday, a big feast, a big celebration. We still do that. Do you realize it's just about... Four and a half months away from Thanksgiving. It's about five months away from Christmas. The big season where we're going to cook a whole bunch and get together and, and it's just all about eating. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're having a Thanksgiving feast. They're, they're throwing a big party and a celebration. And this is what I love. I think of, what is it, was Medea's family reunion? Or maybe it was the Diary of the Mad Black Woman. 
was one of the Tyler Perry movies, and Medea's out there, and there's probably 100 people in her yard, and they're doing a line dance and having a good old time. And I said, man, I wish we white folks could do that like those, our African-American brothers and sisters do. We don't have parties like that. If, if I throw something in my house, will y'all come over and teach me how to line dance in my yard? How, how many of you know how much fun that would be? That's what these guys are doing when they gather in. And every one of these feasts, there was a solemn time where they examined their hearts and they cried out to God and they repented. But then there was a time of great celebration of enjoying the fruit of their labors. Come on, everybody say enjoy. All right, so you see the picture here. You see what's going on. God says rejoice. Last verse, go ahead and put it up for me. When you arrive, you may use the money, he says, to buy any kind of food you want. He says, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, or other alcoholic drink, then feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and celebrate with your household. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. It asks the question, what is the, what is the chief end of man? What is his purpose? And the answer in the catechism says it this way. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, everybody would agree with my purpose is to glorify God, but rarely do we ever think about enjoying God. Matter of fact, most of the time, folk don't enjoy a service where they can hear somebody say, come on and give God praise and enjoy a service where you're worshiping God. And it's not all about pushing it to a crescendo. Sometimes it's in the silence of the moment while the Spirit of the Lord is moving and hovering over a people and he's bringing conviction into the lives of an individual, bringing them to a place of trusting in Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. So there, every time we gather, it is a feast, it is a celebration. There's a somber moment where we turn our hearts to God and confess our sins and we cry out to the Lord for his strength and we thank him for, for his blood that has covered us. But then when we know that we're free, then we can cut loose and celebrate. Come on, somebody. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Somebody say amen. amen. I can't find the hole where the, where the sprite comes out. We, we come and we bring thanksgiving and praise and worship. We testify. It is our testimony to be able to say, look what the Lord has done in my life. Because I trusted him. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. God commands regular seasons of rest and celebration in the lives of his people. Point number two this morning. I've got to move a little faster. Got, got hung up in, in rejoicing. Number two, everybody say evaluate. Luke 20, verses 9 and 10 say this. Now Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to the tenant farmers, and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. Quickly, my point. Go ahead and put that up for me. God is interested in his return on investment. God has made an investment in your life. Everyone in the room was born with some abilities. Everyone in the room has a gift in one way or another. Actually, pr probably a couple of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that God gives them severally as he wills. 
There are gifts that are inside you that maybe they're still dormant. They've never been activated. There are some natural abilities that you have. Some of you are organizational. Some of you are mathematical. Some of you uh, have a great ability to be able to influence and persuade people. Some of you are more introverted. Some of you are more extroverted. Some of you are musical. A lot of different kinds of ways. Some of you are very articulate and you have a teaching gift and you can stand and or you can share one-on-one and you can move people to see something that is profound, yet you have the ability to make it very simple. So there are gifts inside every one of you. Somebody said one time that your talent is what God has given to you and what we're supposed to do is give it back to Him. Your sacrifice is what you give back to God. That is the return on His investment. So it's not just about a crop, but we're looking at this thing through the idea of an agricultural metaphor. And they gather the crop in, and now the crop has come in, and they've thrown a big party, and they're having a feast, and they're bringing to the Lord and giving to Him what is His. Thank you, Father, for blessing us this year. Thank you, Lord, for helping me land that account. Thank you, Lord, for the breakthrough in the kids in my classroom. Thank you, Father, for the promotion that you gave me, for this sale that I was able to make. Lord, thank you for, for the, the idea for this business that you blessed in 2019. And God, I give you thanksgiving. I don't, I don't just have an attitude of gratitude. That's what you feel. But I have the action of giving thanks. I say, thank you, Jesus. And so I give him thanks and I give him praise and I give him worship. And I do that because I have to take time to evaluate what have I gotten out of this this year? Where did I drop the ball? If there was failure, what did I learn? What will I do differently this next year when I plant a crop again? I had, a, I had an argument with my child, and it didn't go well. And how can I learn from this father so that I can influence him or her to be a man or a woman of God? What can I do differently next time? Uh, what can I do to bear more fruit in my business? What can I do to have the kind of relationship with my spouse the way I know the scripture says that we should have the peace and the blessing of God in our home? How can I make different choices with my words so that I can sow confidence and, and know that she knows that I love her and honor her and I cherish her, I value her, I treasure her. She is my treasured possession Not something that I own, but something that God has gladly given me that we two walk together and I'm making investments in my wife. Same way with the the wives to the husband. Giving him respect, honoring him, letting him know that you believe in him. You're making investments. You're planting crops by the words that you speak. What was that proverb that says, it's better to dwell in a little shack and have peace than it is to be in a wide house with a brawling woman? Uh, Ladies, I'm not just after you. You know, men can have problems too. All the ladies said amen. Do I need to prune something in my life? Do I need to sacrifice and cut something back because God wants to produce more fruit? Did I keep the weeds under control this year? Or did they choke out my good crop? God commands regular seasons of rest and celebration in the lives of his people. And so when we... When we we come to a time where we've seen God bring great harvest in our lives, then we need to rejoice and we need to evaluate. It's celebration and it's also evaluation. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, God, this is what we did in 2018. How can we reach more people with the gospel in 2019? Uh, You know, for about six months around here, I was just holding my breath because 
I, I did not want Brett, who was our drummer, to have to constantly hold back, but yet the little screen that we had in front of us or in front of him was just barely holding back sound. And sometimes I'd be on the front row, and I love loud music, let me tell you. And it was making me jerk sometimes. It was every time he would hit that snare drum. So I, I, we had already made plans several months back, and I, I called Scott Grafton, and I said, Scott, I know you've got a lot on your plate. Is there any way you can get on that? And so Scott, who is an amazing, talented builder, he's, he's an engineer with this stuff, he, he welded all of these pieces of metal together and took that plexiglass screen that we had and made these pieces fit and sealed that up and soundproofed it now so we can control. Brett can play with all of his heart before the Lord and it doesn't drive anybody over the edge. Let's give the Lord praise for that. Come on. Now, I, I knew for weeks that we were planning that, actually months. And it was just going, okay, God, please give us a harvest in this thing. Let us, let us Lord, uh, accomplish that so that we can be able to raise the quality of the music and the worship in this place. Quality doesn't always necessarily mean that it has to be way up here really loud. Quantity, okay? And so now we've got a little bit more control over it. And we do because of the gift of one of the brothers in our church who took time to share his gift with us. So when you see Scott, thank him for that. Amen? Point number three, we are rejoicing, we are evaluating, and then the S in rest is the word steward. Everybody say steward. When I steward something, it means I manage it. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 say this, Honor the Lord with your what? With your wealth, and with the, read it with me, with the best part of everything you produce. The best part. The whole book of Malachi has to do with God's complaint to the people or the children of Israel because they were bringing their sickly lambs to the temple to sacrifice them. And he says, that's not the way it goes, guys. He says, you're just counting through in every tenth lamb. You just you give the one that it lands on. You don't pick the best and put them back and then give God the sickly. Come on, what does that mean? That means that you, you, you go to the ball game and you put all of your energy into cheering your team, but when you come to the house of the Lord... It's like you can't even get a quarter. Hallelujah. Come on. Let's, let's, let's realize that God wants our best when we gather together with, with gratitude, with thanksgiving, with praise, with worship. And somebody says, well, that's just not my style. That's fine. We're not trying to make everybody the same way. But I just want you to be free to be able to honor the Lord and honor the Lord with your best praise, with your best worship, with your best thanksgiving. Somebody say amen. Honor him with the best part of everything you produce. He says, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. I need some of that. I want, I want my barns to be filled with good grain. I want my vats to be filled with good wine. Those are, those are pictures of the blessing and the favor of the Lord in the Old Testament. This is what folk basically set the standard in terms of the blessing of God. Was a, were, 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 were places that were filled with grain so everybody could be fed. The, the, the poor folk had something to eat. There was generosity. There was feasting. There was celebration. He says, but you know something? He says, we need to honor the Lord with our wealth. Bring God the best part. So what does this word mean to steward? Everybody say Give. Very simple, not going to belabor this point. Give to the Lord what is His. The Bible in Leviticus says the tithe is the Lord's. 
Tithes and offerings are what we are to give to the Lord. When we are blessed, when we are promoted, when we're paid, then we bring to God the best of what we produce. Literally, when you put a dollar in the plate or you text to give or you write a check or whatever, you are giving a piece of your life because you exchanged your time and your skill and your knowledge and your talent for this currency or this medium of exchange called money. And so money has power in it in that you are giving God a piece of your life. You invested 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours this past week in, in a task and God rewarded you and he blessed your efforts and he put his favor on your labor. And so when we steward what God has given us, we give to the Lord what is his. It also means that we remember the poor. I, I read a passage this week that jarred me in my devotional time. It's, I've been reading through the Bible in the voice translation And Proverbs says this, it says, The righteous are concerned about the poor and with the issues they face. Too often, as as middle-class Americans, we can just sort of get self-absorbed in what we're dealing with and the, the problems we face and the taxes we pay and all of this that we're not really concerned about the where the heart of God is. The Bible says, He that gives to the poor lends to the Lord and the Lord will repay them all. How many of you know if God owes you something, you can guarantee you he's going to pay. He's not going to renege on his debt to you. Those who give to the Lord, lend, give to the poor, lend to the Lord, and the Lord will repay them all is what the Bible says. Manage your, 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 your harvest. Manage your finances. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, pay your bills. Nothing worse than a Christian who won't pay his or her bills. Matter of fact, Psalm 37 says, the wicked borrow and do not repay. Now, that's not folk in this house because we're not wicked people. God's called us to be good people because his good shepherd lives in us and we want to be an example of what it means to manage our money and pay our bills on time. Somebody say amen. You want to save. You want to put some in the, in, in the, in the bins. You want to have some grain so that you can feed the folks. You want to have some to be able to sell You want to be able to manage and steward your wealth and your finances. And you want to be able to plan for the next season. Don't eat up everything this season because you've got to plan on what you're going to sow for next season. God commands regular seasons of rest and celebration in the lives of his people. Finally, this morning we talked about rejoicing. Brighten up and give God celebration. Evaluation, check it out. See where you could have maybe done better next time. Steward. Give to the Lord, manage your time, your money, your wealth, your finances. And then finally this morning, T, time off. We need to take some time off. We need to be able to sit back and not do anything. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is hard for me. You know, most, most of the time, folk have an idea that preachers are just lazy guys who work one hour on Sundays, and that's all they do. And I just want to say, if that's what you think, you don't have an ever-living clue about what goes on in terms of ministering to and helping people and leading a growing church. It's, it's, it's not just preparing for a sermon for a few minutes on Sunday morning. There's a whole lot of stuff that is involved. As a matter of fact, uh, there was one recent book on leadership that said the pastor of a local church is the nearest thing to a CEO of a corporation that there is in America because they have such a varied area of trying to make sure that all of these things or programs are working properly, systems are in place, and the the unusual thing is is that the CEO has the ability to have the leverage of paying his folks, but the pastor has to call on folk that are volunteering. 
Everybody say, bless the pastor. Come on. Time off. Time off. Time off, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 5, look at this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you and your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest. Everybody say rest. Must rest as you do. And this is the reason. Here it is in verse 15, last verse. Everybody say remember. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath is one day out of every week. The harvest festival is once a year. It is a time of celebration. It's a time of being able just to sit back after you've checked the books, you've given an accounting, you've made an evaluation, you've paid all the creditors, you've paid your your workers, you've stored up some, you've given to the Lord, and then it's time to sit down and enjoy some free time. Just relax, just chill. I have a hard time doing that. And matter of fact, now that dawn is gone and I'm in the house by myself with just two, actually it's still three dogs, Abby's flying in tonight, and when she leaves this trip, Shaka's going back to New York, hallelujah. So I'll, I'll go from three to two. But I, I'm working all the time. Sometimes I'm working at midnight because I've got to-do lists that are crazy. I remember when my children were young and I would be at the church And so many times I would be wrestling in my mind with the fact that I needed to be paying attention to my family. And when I would be with my family, I would be wrestling with how many things I knew that needed to be dealt with that were at the church. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're at work and you're thinking about home. You're at home and you're thinking about work. And I wrestled with that for a few years until I finally had to arrive at a place of finding some balance. And this is where I am even right now at 58 years old. I'm seeking God and I'm saying, Lord, help me to be present in the moment and to enjoy right now what I'm doing. Because I want you to know there's always two dozen things that need to be done. If you own a house, there's always at least 10 or 12 things that need to be fixed, that need to be done. need a coat of paint on that. You need, to, you need to weed that bed. You need to cut that grass. You need to paint that garage. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's always things that have to be done. And if you're always driven by the stuff you have to do, then we wear ourselves out and never are able to just sit back and enjoy what God intends. Everybody say rest. Sabbath was a weekly time that God said, and this is the pattern that he gave. God worked six days, finished his work, and he stepped back and he looked and he says, behold, it is very good. And the Bible says God rested the seventh day. And so that became the pattern. That became the pattern in the Old Covenant. This is my last point this morning as I finish this message. But what happened was a legalistic approach to that began to creep in. And the idea began to be that I must labor six so that I can earn the seventh day of rest. And so everything was about honoring the Sabbath. And, of course, the Scripture commands that. The fourth commandment of the Big Ten basically says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is what Moses was talking about in this passage we just read where he says, this time where you've set it aside, I want you to not do any work. 
I want you to intentionally disengage from work and labor. And the purpose of that is to make us exert our faith and to recognize that ultimately it is God who is in control of our lives and our circumstances. Because if we think it's up to us, then we never ever... We never ever get off the religious treadmill. We're always working, always laboring, always checking off three more things off the to-do list. But when I really sit down and rest, I have to do it in faith. God, I sit down right now in this moment. I'm not going to do anything at all today. And I thank you that I'm going to commune with you. I thank you you're going to speak to me. You're going to rejuvenate my heart. You're going to refresh my spirit. You're going to give me a fresh perspective to get up with tomorrow and start a new week. And I thank you, Lord, that, that when I know that you are putting your favor on my labor, I can accomplish a whole lot more than when I determine to do it in my own strength and I keep checking off my to-do list and I never stop to honor you. So it takes faith. The Pharisees were legalists that wanted to protect all of these commandments of God. And they had an issue with Jesus every time he stood before a crowd because Jesus would be compassionate for the needs of the people and he would speak to them and many times heal on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees would get ticked off because they said, no, 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 you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, you guys don't even have a clue. He said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You've got this thing whole backwards. How many of you guys, you religious fundamentalists, how many of the time you get your own ox in a ditch? Don't you go out there and get that ox delivered out of that ditch even though it's a Sabbath day? How much more is this son of Abraham valuable to the heavenly father than that animal? Why shouldn't we see him set free from this malady or this disease or this burden? Jesus did that over and over and over again. And it made the religious people mad because they were more concerned about guarding a 24-hour period of inactivity than they were about recognizing that the spirit of the thing was about God bringing rest to the hearts of people. Now, I don't think this thing is tied up about Sunday because Sunday's a day of work for me. When I preach two services and if I have to play music too, by the time I get home after two services, because our mornings typically start about 7.30 down here, and we're rehearsing and warming up and then play and then preach two services. By 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like this, but I can't sleep because I'm so keyed up because the amount of adrenaline and energy that it takes to, to be able to deliver something and to encourage you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so Sunday's a day of work for me, so I set aside a different day, and I honor that day as a Sabbath day to completely disengage from what I'm doing in the in an attempt to say, God, my faith is in you. You're going to take care of everything that needs to be done. I pray and I seek your face. What was it Martin Luther said? The busier my day is, the more time I spend in prayer that morning. Because we know that when God works with us, we can accomplish a whole lot more than we can by ourselves. Somebody say amen. My point as I finish this morning is that Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. We're not laboring any longer to try to get the favor of God, to be able to rest in the confidence that our relationship with the Lord has been made right because Jesus has come and purchased that rest for me. The Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Then Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble 
and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. To intentionally disengage from work for the purpose of honoring God and resting my body demonstrates my trust in God's ultimate control over my life. The Father worked six days and he sat down the seventh. Jesus hung on the cross and he says, Father, I have finished the work that you have called me to do. As a matter of fact, some of his final words hanging between heaven and earth suspended and he said, it is finished. We believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's not something yet to be done. It has all been done. Religion is all about what you do. A relationship with Jesus is all about what he's already done for you. And we, we walk into that favor and to that rest. Jesus gives us the rest for our weary souls because he's already paid the price. He's paid the penalty for my sin. Now, the beauty of this is not about legalistically declaring that the seventh day is the Sabbath. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, that was God's stamp of approval on his sacrifice. And he rose the first day of the week. And so that's one of the things that changed from the old covenant to the new. In the old covenant, you worked six days and rested the seventh. But in the new covenant, we begin in a day of rest. We begin from the position of knowing that our hearts are right with God that God is on our side, that God will work with us and he will anoint us and he will empower us to accomplish great things for his kingdom. And we begin with that, not having to earn it or deserve it or work for it, but we begin in a place of rest and then we get up, we get up strengthened and refreshed and rejuvenated and renewed and we, we can begin a new week in the advancement of the kingdom of God. Isn't that good news? Hallelujah. Jesus is our Sabbath. Bow your hearts with me, please, this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask you today to convict us, O Lord, where it's so easy to just get on the treadmill of all the the to-do lists, the things that we have to accomplish. And we forget to take a moment to set aside a day Lord, we know that it's not a sin to cut our grass on Sunday afternoon. That's not 